Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. I am finally back with another episode of Channel Journeys. After more weeks away than I had anticipated, holy cow, it's already July. We're halfway through 2021. Well, I have a good excuse for being away. I was out at sea on another sailing adventure, this time sailing from Bermuda to Long Island, New York. It was a fantastic trip. Five days at sea out on the open ocean. It's hard to describe what a great time we had out there. Great crew, great captain, all sorts of weather conditions on a great boat built to handle the open ocean. I did a podcast last year on my sailing trip from St. Thomas to Newport, Rhode Island. Let me know if you'd like me to do another podcast on this latest sailing adventure. This week, we have another great show. This is a conversation I had before my sailing trip with a new channel friend of mine, Balaji Subramanian, the SVP and Global Channel Chief at iGel. They are an edge software company who also happen to have a 100% channel model. And iGel is transforming into a software as a service company. And Balaji is finding new ways to enable and reward partners to land, adopt, and expand their customers. And he's doing some interesting things based on feedback they got through their partner advisory councils. And when it comes to enabling and rewarding partners, you need a powerful PRM system to manage and monitor partner performance. And I want to thank my sponsor, Magentrix, who are experts in helping their clients build feature-rich PRMs in record time. The system's really amazing on how quickly you can set up all the key elements you need in your partner program right out of the box, including deal registration, dynamic content delivery, things like incentive and tracking, training and certification, gamification, and a lot more. You can check them out at Magentrix.com or on the Salesforce App Exchange. All right, are you ready to get going with today's episode and get creative with partner rewards? Let's go. Hey, Balaji, good morning to you. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. Great to have you on the show. Good morning, Rob. Nice to be on. And uh, it's great to see you uh, at least over Zencaster. Yeah, we get to see each other. Our, our audience can't see you, but I can, which is nice. A new feature of this is brand new with Zencaster just out a couple months ago that we can actually see each other while I interview you, which is really fun. It makes for a better conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and where are you hunkered down today? I am in the San Francisco Bay Area, just about 40 miles south of San Francisco. And it's a uh, Ah, mostly blue sky and nice day outside. Well, it's always sunny blue sky, right? In that area? Most of the time, yeah. Most of the time, most of the time. Did you grow up in that area? No, I actually grew up in the eastern side of Washington State in a town called Pullman, Washington. Wait a second, you grew up in Pullman? I did, yes. Wow, I went to school there for two years. WSU, you're a cougar, oh my gosh, that's... Home for me. And my dad was a professor, you know, Wazoo for many, many years. We still have our house up there. I uh, actually sit on the board of the, uh, the business school there. So I go for board meetings and things like that. So Pullman is home for me. Yes. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to have to get that in, into that a little bit later in the show. All right. That, that's awesome. Well, cool. Very cool. All right. Great. So very eager to chat with you about the work that you're doing, uh, running channels at iGel. Maybe really quickly, what does your company do? Give us the quick elevator pitch. Yeah. We are a Linux-based uh, edge software company. So we focus on cloud workspaces. Uh, our biggest technology partners are people like Citrix, 
Microsoft, uh, VMware, AWS, you know, technology partners like that. Yeah. And we really focus on the endpoint solutions, the endpoint security, and the management of those endpoints. And in this last year and a half, with all of us working remotely or anywhere from home, all of those three things have become very important for all industries. So, yeah, I imagine the remote workspace has really driven a lot of growth in your business. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Awesome. So you're running channels there. You joined about a year ago. What does your partner ecosystem look like? Yeah, we we are a uh, 100% channel company, first of all. And we operate, yes, which is very nice for me, for people like you and I. And it's a, a two-tier model. So uh, distributors are a key part of our ecosystem. And then, of course, we have our traditional, what I'll call VARs, um, who resell. Uh, we have our large account resellers who also resell, but are a different type of partner. Uh, and then we have more and more MSPs that are joining us as well. And then we have our global system integrators as, as part of our ecosystem also. So those are probably the four main types of our partner ecosystem. And how many partners? Are we talking hundreds or thousands in your ecosystem? Oh, hundreds, hundreds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Less is more, my philosophy. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, more and more of us are saying that for sure, right? Less is definitely more. Okay, very good. And your company is about 20, 21 years old. Yes. Has it always been 100% channel? It has, actually. It's, uh, it started out as a hardware company, actually. And distributors you know, played, obviously, a vital role in that. So that's how the whole two-tier model, I think, was born. And it's remained that way, yes. Uh, so 100% channel, last 21 years, and will continue to be 100% channel uh, going forward too. That's really interesting. You know, only a small percentage of the guests on Channel Journeys come from companies that are 100% channel. And I recently had Taylor McDonald on and he was talking and advocating for why his kind of 50-50 model is the best of both worlds, right? And it, I didn't challenge him too hard on that because I still think that... <laughs> You're, you're, you're in a pretty good space where you are without that conflict. But I, I get his point. There are some benefits of, of having that direct model on one side. Yeah. I think, I think frankly, a 100% channel can work as long as you have clear delineation of roles and responsibilities, especially from a customer segment standpoint. I think that's important. So when you're starting to talk about strategic large enterprise customers, it's important that the partner understands that we have a a field organization that is really going to be focused on that. We have a services organization and support organization that's really going to be focused on those types of customers. And we can co-inhabit in in that customer segment space. Yeah, absolutely. You're not giving up everything to the channel. You still want to make sure the customer is successful and be engaged, particularly in those big accounts. And you had mentioned to me uh, running a partner advisory council. Is that something you started up when you joined or was that already in place? No, I, I started that. You know, I think, as, as you know, I think it's very important to be able to have sort of a intimate, I'll call it, meeting with several partners who can act as a proxy for sort of the broader channel community. And uh, so we have um, eight partners on our partner advisory council here in North America. We're going to do the same thing in Europe this next quarter. Uh, but the eight partners in North America are a nice cross-section, I'll call them. One is from Canada. Uh, the other seven are from uh, the US. Two or three of them are multi-billion dollar type of partners. Uh, the other four or five are more what I'll call sort of that 
you know, 100 million to 300 million type of rain partners. So nice cross. And they know they kind of compete against each other, but they're very collaborative and very insightful uh, in terms of, you know, what we need to do and how we can work together and all that. So it's it's been fun. I'm glad we started it. And uh, we've had, uh, it's quarterly. So we have a quarter two meeting so far and another one coming up here in August. So they're virtual now, at least for now. Hey, that's a great question, Rob. So they have been virtual, but we just are reaching out to them to say the August one, would you like to, would you feel comfortable having it in person here in our new office that we're going to have in San Francisco? So who knows? We might have it in person in August. Well, that would be great, wouldn't it? Getting back to that live face-to-face meetings. So we're putting together a plan for starting up advisory council at OutSystems. And we've been having this internal debate, you know, do we do it geo-based? I think we're going to lean that way. I think it makes sense. But then how big of a blend of partners do we want? You know, big versus small. Should we have the GSIs in with the smaller partners? It sounds like you went with the blended approach. Blended approach to some extent, but we purposefully did not include, for example, our GSIs in this forum. We did not include our large account resellers like a, a CDW or Insight. Right. No disrespect to them. We just felt that they were different. Just totally different model. Yeah. So these guys who, who we have now, the eight of them are what I'll call your traditional VARs, right? Um, who resell and are focused more and more on services now too, of course. And so it's, you know, it's a nice, and by the way, the other guidance or counsel I would give born from experience is make it intimate. So I always feel that less than 10 is important, not more than 10. And a sweet spot is around that eight, I think. So kind of what we centered around, you, you can go up to 10, I think, and be okay also. So, yeah. Good, good. And recently you've been asking questions about your incentives, your rebates, how you should structure them. And that's really what I want to drill into today. That sounded like a really interesting topic. Yep, 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 yep. It was a key. Both those topics were key topics in our last Partner Advisory Council. So I can certainly share with you uh, feedback on those. Okay. So first, how is your program set up? You have resellers, so you have a reseller discount model. Do you also have then the back-end rebate commission model? You do both? Yeah. You know, when I joined a year ago, I felt that our model was strictly transactional and there was a price book and, you know, our distributors had a little margin and then we sort of have this implied margin for our resellers, but really nothing else, right? There were no business plans. There were no MDF uh, and there were no back-end rebates. And I felt that, as you know, all of our partners run a P&L. They are business people, and they want to make sure that they're profitable too. So what do we do to be able to introduce certain incentives and rewards to them that are meaningful and also viable for us from an economic standpoint? So I did introduce back-end rebates. I introduced uh, MDF uh, in our new program. Uh, and But you know, I still think that we have, we need to continue that journey of making it more and more meaningful for them. It's very important for our partners, as you know, that we're predictable, it's consistent. So they get up every morning knowing that, hey, if I go off and sell and work with iGel, I can make this type of margin every time I sell, right? So those kinds of things are very important. So we talked about a number of those kinds of things. And I'll, I'll give you more examples here too. Can a partner earn a reseller get the reseller discount, but then also earn some back-end rebates on top of that? Absolutely. So for our top-tier partners, our elite partners, as we call them, they can earn that front-end margin. And we modeled this for them, by the way, in Q4 of last year. We had QBRs with them, and we talked about the new program. We said, 
this is how much you can earn based upon these few things, your front end margin. But then back end rebates, we want to pay you on software business, right? And we want to pay you, you know, X number of percentage points. I'll just tell you four, four percentage points, uh, back end rebates. Plus we want to give you another additional two points, maybe even three points for MBOs that we'd like you to, uh, share with us and drive this go to market strategy. So here's sort of this balanced economic uh, model for you, front end, back end, plus you throw an MDF in there. You know, it's, it's going to be healthy for you. So why don't we start with that and then let's learn what works, what doesn't work uh, as we go through the year. So mid-year, here we are on June 8th, just had our partner advisory council meeting. And at that meeting, I talked to them about making some changes to it as we go forward. And what kind of feedback are you getting? What are the, what are the partners saying? Yeah. So, so the things that I asked them were as follows, right? We want partners who really care about customer success. We're becoming a completely 100% software company, and we're going to become a subscription company. So what does that mean? That means that um, customer success and customer adoption is very important because that's what's going to drive renewals high renewal rate, which is going to drive recurring revenue, which is very important for us because that's really going to have cause higher valuation for us as a company. So all of those things tied together. Therefore, shall we pay you partners on the customer life cycle rather than just, you know, like I said, you know, four to six points on software business, right? So there are points on each of the customer life cycle that are important to us. How do you sort of uh, do that discovery and register an opportunity, a lead for us. How do you then demo? How do you do a proof of concept? Because those, you know, you're investing time and effort in those two steps. How are you doing post sales in terms of making sure that the customer has high customer adoption? It's actually using our software, right? Because that's what's going to lead to, guess what? Renewals, right? Which will lead to recurring revenue. So that's, in my mind, right? That's sort of this, you know, customer journey and partners play a role in each of those steps. And the more we can invest and make them successful in each of those steps, the more we can both grow and have happier customers and things like that. So that was the conversation. How do we take those existing budget of rebates that we have and change it to invest in those steps? And did they like that approach? They did. Yes. They, you know, of course, gave good guidance and counsel in terms of, don't make this burdensome, right? Um, and we, we do understand that those steps are important. And yes, we want you to invest in those steps with us, but don't make it burdensome. In, times, in terms of like proof of performance type burden, yeah. Exactly, yes, right. So don't like, you know, do all these crazy things of asking us to prove that we did a demo or prove that we do a proof of concept or, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? I talked about customer success, which I know you you do a great job on, right? In terms of, you know, how do we want to measure this, guys? And how do we do it and things like that? So we had some lively discussions around that also. But that's, I think, where we're headed, frankly. So the evolution of our IGEL Velocity program, that's the name of our partner program, is going to evolve more and more in that. And it, uh, I'll give you a couple of other examples also, Rob, but let me stop to see if you have any other questions on on this. I don't want to lose your train of thought on this too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, one thing that came to mind is, are you guys adopting the layer model, land, adopt, expand, renew, the TSIA model? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly. In a subscription model, that's how it's going to work, right? I've been there before in other companies and that land and expand is is very important. And so I think that's our compensation model, 
internally even, our, uh, the way we measure KPIs and things like that, I think are going to go in more and more toward that layer model, right? Um, and uh, that's, that's how we're going to work. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Our go-to-market strategy is totally aligned to layer. And we've, we're aligning our program to layer two, because I think it gives a common language to talk to partners. And then as you move the buckets around of where are we going to put our, you know, incentive money right right now, ours, for example, is very heavily weighted on land because that's our mission right now is driving more and more new logos, Sure, but we're very concerned about adopt and expand and renewals. So I think in 22, we'll probably shift some funding and, and move some program weight back over on the right side because that is so key. And we, we are learning so much just about how our customers use our software and when is a customer more likely to renew and expand and when are they not. So now I think now we know better too through our own metering, you know, how to, what we want partners to do and what we, how, we, how do we build incentives for them to do that. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how you're thinking of doing that without being burdensome. You know, and and because the finance, you know, finances say, well, did the partner really do that? You know, <laughs> but you don't want to be in a mode of, of constantly inspecting and not trusting the partners. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We've taken steps even this year uh, with the new deal registration tool and process that we put in place that now allows a partner to come in and register a deal. But we ask them questions like, did you source this deal? Yes or no. And it's OK if you didn't. That's fine. We you know we care a lot about influence. We care about a lot about fulfillment as well. But we just want to know. Uh, and then we actually ask them: Are you going to co-sell or are you going to lead the sales cycle? And again, no problems with either one of them. But if they say they're going to lead the sales cycle, then we ask them questions like: Well, when is your demo and proof of concept scheduled for? And we actually show a little calendar for them to pick a date. So. We could start working with them even closely and things like that. So we're starting to put that intelligence in in that and just learn this year, right, of how many deals are source, how many deals are influence, how many deals are partner-led, all those kinds of things. That'll help us uh, also as we go forward and just put in the right KPIs and, and do the right measurements. So we can truly answer that question to that CFO who says, really, value add do our partners bring? And I think these are the kinds of things we can use. And if they click, hey, we want to do demos, we want to do POCs, I assume your channel managers are then looking and saying, wait a sec, that partner doesn't have a lot of background in doing that. We better jump in and provide some shadowing or enablement or something along the way. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We have, um, we're fortunate to have a, a really good IGEL Academy, right? And a really a good team behind that. And so we've now put together a journey for our partners to go through of getting skilled and certified. And one of the, you know, the sales professional uh, scale, of course, certification, the pre-sales certification, all of that is sort of a given. But then what we want them to be able to do, if they want to, is to get better and better at, you know, that what I'll call the, you know, the adopt and expand portion of it, where they need to be, you know, skilled, right? And they need to be able to focus on the business outcomes of a customer. So for that, we've actually created a specialization called services specialization, IGEL services specialization, that requires a, a partner to go in and actually get an architect certification. And then we do a, we've set up a board within the company that includes our professional services team, some of our pre-sales team, and then of course us, to be able to then give some use case studies and test the partner on how they would do a couple of use cases. And then we, we're actually providing them mentoring and shadowing opportunities also. Uh, to be able to kind of finish that up 
then we will feel comfortable that partner is ready now to be able to do these kinds of things that we want them to do, right? We'll go through that whole sales cycle and that customer journey and really lead that for us because we do need them or else we're never going to scale, right? You know that, right? And so, yes. So again, those are the kinds of things we're putting in, in place to enable us to get better and better at this. Do you think you'll have many partners who check co-sell? They don't want to lead the sales cycle. They just want to co-sell. And, and maybe you probably pay a lower commission or back, back end rebate if they're just co-selling. Yes, absolutely. That's, uh, that's, I think, how it's going to work, right? Everybody has a role. And we've always told our partners that if you just want to fulfill, take the paper and fulfill, great. If you want to uh, jump in a little bit more and get more certified and, and skilled and co-sell with us, if you want to really go out there and you know really lead the sales cycle, love it. Love that also. So each of you, there's three different roles and partners can play three different roles. Obviously, our investment uh, philosophy and our economics continues to rise as you go through sort of, I did actually a four by four quadrant and I mapped all of our key partners on these things, right? As you go to the right and up, you're into that upper right hat quadrant where you're fully skilled and you're driving services and you're leading the sales cycle. And then on the bottom left, you're fulfilling. They're all good, but our economic philosophy changes as you go from left to right. So, Right. I'm curious, is that front end discount the same whether you're fulfilling or leading the sales cycle? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great question. Today it is. We said... Let's try to keep it simple. And, and frankly, we have tiers, partner tiers also, which by the way, I'm rethinking of do we even want tiers as we go into next year, but a different subject. I'd be happy to, to uh, try to convince you to go move away from it. Yeah, I, I've actually stated that already, but I, wanted, I need to take my team and kind of in that journey with me on this. But yeah, I would prefer not to have tiers next year. But anyway, going back to your question, we kept it simple and we said, you know what? Any partner, any any tier type, any sales motion, same margin. Let's just keep it at that for this year. But we're probably going to revisit next year also. It does keep it much simpler. And then you just adjust the back end commission or rebate based on that that contribution. Exactly. Exactly. What are some other things that you're thinking of, and how granular do you get? I remember I was I was an arrow worked at Arrow as a distributor in the IBM group, and you know IBM had a pretty complex program and. There, it just sometimes it was so burdensome on the partners because there were so many. You could earn a lot of money, you could earn a ton of money, but boy, the hoops you had to go through, and there's so many individual things that you had to know about to collect it all. Right? It, it almost got to be too much. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. We're, you know, we're, we don't want to make it too complex, obviously, because you know, as you know, these partners work with six to ten other vendors, right? And we want them getting up every morning, knowing our program, understanding us, and knowing how to make money with us, right? And just keep it simple. So we're probably not going to make it too complex, but it certainly needs to be able to drive, well, the layer model, right? And drive their renewals, right? Drive the customer adoption and upsell and new logos, right? Those are just you know three or four things that are very important and keeping the customer happy. And so that's what we're going to focus on. But you know what? For our sort of today's elite partners, for those guys, I personally believe that we really should have a bespoke model, a bespoke business plan type of model, right? And for them, you know, getting these rebate checks every quarter, ah, it's nice to have and all that. But for them, it's really more important to be able to have investments from us that really make sense. And I'll give you two examples for that. We have one partner who's focusing on SMB business. And so they said, hey, 
what we'll do is we will invest in a business development rep that's specifically focused just on IGEL, right? So I said, okay, that's great. I love it. And so we introduced that person once they was hired. Uh, he was hired to with our inside sales team. So they could have the same training and things like that. We also now are picking up half the cost of that person. And we'll probably go and pick up the full cost of that person. Because rather than just give rebates to this partner, just say, you know what, we'll just pick up that whole cost because that's probably going to be more meaningful for you and more meaningful for us to be able to have that type of role. And that checks our, our sort of our go-to-market together to some extent. Another great example is we have another large partner who's opening up and investing in a large lab, I'll call it, and sort of a EBC type of center that's focused on healthcare, right? And actually building sort of a mini hospital almost, right? To showcase workplace solutions and other kinds of uh, solutions in that, IGEL being going to be one of them. We said, you know what, instead of giving you rebates every quarter, and it's, you know, usually 30, 45 days after the quarter's end. So as always, you are confused as to why am I getting this money, et cetera. Why don't we just take that money and invest it into this sort of this lab and healthcare, right? A facility so you can do demos and proof of concepts and 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 talk about uh, IGEL in a much more elegant eloquent manner and we're part of that right with you so those are just two sort of easy examples where I think we're going to shift some of our rebate money and invest more like that which is more bespoke to each of these partners and makes more meaningful for them interesting and would that be then business plan based is there a business plan behind it Yes, exactly. Yes, absolutely. It's going to be part of the business plan. It's going to be part of our just go to market plan together because then you can provide a lot more governance around it. And there's a stronger cadence to it also, rather than your typical rebates kind of uh, model. So, Does that require too then, Balaji, that they have to sign a different partner agreement because you, in lieu of rebates, they're getting this investment or how do you handle that? No, we no, no, we don't want, again, uh, simplicity, right? We don't want to... <laughs> You want simplicity for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No different agreements or something like that. It'll just be, you know, a bespoke prog- uh, program for uh, now. I have to be careful with this. Obviously, in the EU world, you know, non EU world, North America, et cetera. Just, you know, but yeah, keep it simple. So, okay. Are they forgoing the rebates or they still get those, but you're putting, making an additional investment? No, we will repurpose the rebates that they normally would get plus probably some additional investments. Gotcha. Okay. Make it even more meaningful for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. I got to take a look at that. You're giving me a lot of thoughts of things to think about. I, I The deal registration was a really interesting one because um, we're not asking some of those questions that you're asking of really trying to understand how are you engaging? What do you plan to do? We're, our questions today are much more about the prospect. Right. As opposed to the motion that the partner is going to engage in. Right. Right. Yeah, it's uh, prospect is important, of course, right? And and we wanted that that funnel and that and the pipeline and things like that and who are things like that. But you know, going back to our earlier conversation around hundred percent channel and 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 all that, I have a field organization and I want to make sure that there's a very healthy uh, connection between our field and our partners. And so, the more visibility we can give on opportunities and who is playing what type of role, uh, the easier I think then that that connection can happen uh, on the ground in the field. So. Yeah. Was there anything the partner shared, <laughs> if you mind sharing it, that they didn't like that you think you need to re-swizzle in the program that you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, probably one or two things come to mind right away is, um, and I don't know if this is programmatic, but the 
lead routing process. Um, I think uh, is is certainly a couple of those um, partners brought up saying that hey, you know we need leads too, right? We're, we're sourcing deals for you guys, but it's you know you know you know fair enough. And of course, we said yeah, we it's our responsibility, right? We need to make sure that we are providing you the right leads and routing you the right leads in an intelligent manner. And I'll give you one example: a partner, you know, one of our key partners, part of partner advisor council said. I'm sitting here in the Midwest, and I won't name the state, but um, and I just found out that this large customer, uh, you know, was thinking and wanted to having a demo and some type of proof of concept. We were never asked, and here we are, literally down the street from these guys, right? So, so it's sort of that sharing uh, leads as well as opportunities, and how do we go to market together? I think that's always going to be something that we need to continue to address. But that's one thing. So it's not necessarily programmatic, but I would, I would include leads in, in the program standpoint. So, so with that in mind, I've asked my team, we have a little one-page dashboard that we uh, produce every week just to kind of monitor the health of our ecosystem. And so I've asked them to put in a little section there in the top right-hand side of leads. So we can hold ourselves accountable uh, to say, are we giving leads to our partners? And if it's zero, it's going to be zero. Let's just be very transparent about that, right? But uh, but that's that's one feedback certainly we've got, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's something we're looking really hard at too. And partners can do such a great job. You know, you get those, those early qualified leads or unqualified leads that, and partners with their contacts and industry knowledge and expertise, they can do a much better job many times than your own folks can do in following it up. All right. Well, fantastic. So any big uh, things moving forward as you have more partner council, advisor council meetings that you're thinking of teeing up in future topics? I think these, you know, what we just kind of talked about, this thread of land and expand and, uh, and renew, I think is going to be more and more important for us. The other thing just for you uh, is that we are making a change to our price book, actually, this uh, second half of the year. Uh, it's been a traditional price book that is uh, a price that we give with a certain margin to our distributor and then implied margins after that. But what happens, in, as you know, in on the ground reality-wise is that you have different deal bands and each deal band has its own set of uh, economics around it. So we said, let's just make it real, right? So we're changing our price book to have five deal bands now based upon seat sizes going from about 50 seats to 100, you know, 100 to 500, 500 to 1,000. Etc. And each of them now, based upon some analysis that we did over the last, you know, 12, 18 months, we've sort of come up with a different now um, price point for those deal bands. So that hopefully will, as one of my partners uh, said, uh, let's lessen the friction and accelerate the sales cycle. And I hopefully this will do that. So now it's a little more clear for all parties uh, involved, including our field, that. Here's sort of the price points for each of those seat sizes and deal sizes. And by the way, here's a discount authority table that aligns to that. So it can happen quicker, faster, and everybody knows immediately sort of the profitability behind each that, each of those kinds of things, et cetera. We want to make sure that it was consistent and predictable for our partners. So we have the same implied margin for any partner for all of those deal bands. And we're training the field to say, no matter what deal size, we want to make sure that the partner knows that they're going to get this type of front end margin. So please, let's let's act uh, accordingly from, from that standpoint. And in your model, is it always the partners presenting the price? Does your Do you have a direct team that would ever present a price to a customer? They are not supposed to. 
so, but you know, there is obviously uh, heavy involvement with the field and and the partner with the customer many times. Uh, and you get in, yeah, they can get. There can be some pretty heavy negotiations that get, yeah. Yeah, I know how that can happen. <laughs> All right. Well, Balaji, we got to get back to Pullman, Washington. And I'm curious, how did you get from Pullman to running channels at iGel? That what what was your your channel journey there? <laughs> yeah, what a funny story. Yeah, I grew up in the as you know, the uh the Palouse, you know, uh, hills filled with wheat and lentils and then I have a university plop right in the middle of all of that. And and that's yeah, so I, you know, I, that's, that's home, right? Elementary school, my junior high, high school. I ended up getting a bachelor's and a master's from Washington State University in finance and economics. So moved down to the Bay Area, actually, because, you know, there's only farm land there in, in around Pullman. So I had to either go to Seattle or go down here. And funny enough, my mom's younger sister lived in San Jose. So, oh, we know someone here. Let's go. And so that's how I moved down here and ended up actually starting in finance. So my early part of my career was actually in finance. And I was actually, uh, you know, the controller, senior controller at Cisco and all of that. And then, but always on the sales side, thankfully, and supporting, you know, a sales VP or SVP of sales and all that. And so running deal desks and all that. And that's what led me to sales strategy, sales operations, business planning, business operations, all the quote to cash, all that kind of stuff. And then moved into sort of the channel world because there was a need for it when I was at Adobe, actually. So I started out at Cisco and then moved to Adobe. And at Adobe, they needed help on just putting together a worldwide channel program. That's what started me. And that's where I am. And I feel, by the way, just for all professionals out there, luckily, my background in, as a controller has really helped me all this time. And as a channel chief, you know, it's important, the economics, the P&L, and all those kinds of things that you need to build. It's easy for me to sit across the CFO and have a good discussion with him. It's easy to sit across this uh, table from a legal person and you know discuss contracts and agreements. It's easy to sit across the table from sales, uh, marketing, etc. So that that experience that I had in my early years of sort of moving around to different types of roles in finance and strategy planning operations has really helped me uh, become a better, hopefully, channel chief and be a better advocate for my partners as well as from for the field and all my other stakeholders too. Yeah, I would think that'd be a fantastic background, plus the sales ops background too, because channel ops is such a big piece of our roles and trying to remove friction everywhere we can. Exactly, exactly, yeah. My, uh, I went to Wazoo for two years, then I went to School of Mines in Colorado and got a petroleum engineering degree, which, great degree, but I don't know if it was a, not as good a foundation for, for channels as what you have. So I, I had a lot of learning to do once I got into it. That's fantastic. And I heard you like cycling. I do. Yes. I'm a avid road cyclist. I used to play a lot of sports growing up and tore my knee about 15 years or so ago. And after surgery and all that, part of my rehab was cycling. And I liked it so much. I'm pretty much that's all I do uh, is uh, cycling. So uh, a funny story about uh, the only I don't know, should I say it this way? The good th one of the only good things coming out of the pandemic over the last year and a half is I haven't been on a plane or traveled uh, at all, right? And uh, that's allowed me to have a much stronger, no pun intended, cadence with my cycling. And so last year was a year where I rode the most I've ever ridden, right? I, I think close to 4,000 miles I rode last year. So it's uh, it's been fun from that standpoint. But I can see 
travel is starting to come up here soon. So I'll probably, uh, you know, write a little less this year, I think, as we go forward. So Yeah, I love cycling too. And, and like you, with the roads were, were quiet, a lot less traffic, and you had more time to ride. I'm probably the strongest I've ever been on the bike right now. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, yeah, it's been fantastic. Do you do any big road rides out there? I do. Usually I try to do two century rides uh, a year. Uh, a favorite of mine, one of them is called Marin Century, which is up in Marin. And usually that's the first Saturday of August. But this year, they uh, last year, of course, they canceled it. This year, they moved it out to October. So I've signed up for that. And it's the first Saturday, I think, in October. And looking forward to that. And then I'll do a July 4th one, actually, also. Um, so I'll have two Two, you know, I always train for these, you know, crazy, you know, hundred, hundred plus mile rides and it keeps me sort of going. So I heard the doorbell. Is that your new bike showing up? No, it's, uh, I don't know who it is. <laughs> My wife luckily is here, so she'll answer it. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a gravel bike, so I'm really excited about it. I'm, I've got a little gravel roads around here and I got a buddy on my bike club that he's got, he just got one. And there are a lot of mountain gravel roads in Georgia, not too far from us. Yeah. So that's, that's our new thing. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Well, Balaji, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun hearing about what you guys are doing. Best of luck. And uh, I may steal a few of those ideas of please do what you guys are implementing. Absolutely. And I'd likewise learned from you and, and the rest of our peers. So thank you, Rob, for having me on this great podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. Folks can reach out to you if they have questions. LinkedIn? Absolutely. On LinkedIn or even my, you know, IGEL ID, which is balaji at IGEL.com. Okay. Excellent. All right. Thanks again. Have a great time uh, out on the bike this summer. All right. Thank you then. Take care. All right, guys, that was a fun conversation with Balaji. Great things to consider in our channel programs. And so fun to hear that he grew up in the little town of Pullman where I went to school. What a small world. You can find show notes from today's episode at channeljourneys.com forward slash CJ73. Be sure to subscribe while you're there. And as always, I'd appreciate if you'd leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. And a special note on Magentrix, check out Magentrix at Magentrix.com. And if you decide to try them out, you can receive two months free on an annual contract just by using the discount code SPEEPOD21 when you sign up. All right, you're going to love my next episode. It's with a channel chief who just got recognized as one of CRN's women in the channel, and she is giving the channel a powerful kick in more ways than one. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.